If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We had been up on Hooper's box. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Old trailhead with the intent of stargazing, however, it was unusually warm this year. End of October 2019, thick fog rolled in around 9 p.m., and we eventually gave up around 11 p.m., 
sat and talked to an older couple who had pulled off to spend the night due to the fog, and we eventually left at maybe 1 a.m. from the Hooper Ball to overlook parking area. We made our way back down slowly until the scenic overlook at Chute Cove, and by the time we got there at maybe 1.32 a.m., the fog and most of the clouds had subsided. There's a little parking lot at this overlook that holds maybe seven cars, and a field the size of a soccer pitch separating you from the tree line with some picnic tables dotted around. We pulled up, got out the car, cutting it off in its lights, and set up our tripods, cameras, and lenses to take some photos of the stars and try and catch some of the Milky Way, if possible, on long exposure. We were about 15, 20 photos in, each exposure being about 30 seconds or so. In this time, no cars passed, no owls hooted, no foxes screamed bloody murder, only the faint sounds of some bugs and the occasional bat fluttering about. Later on, it was eventually deathly quiet, no sounds, not bugs chirping, nor bats fluttering around, not even leaves rustling in the wind. It was eerie, to say the least. I got the feeling a little uneasy, I can't pinpoint why, but I was getting a fluttery feeling in my chest. We kept taking pictures for a few minutes longer, but as time went on, we could hear some things going on in the woods, namely what I could best describe as either stones being tossed or shuffling in the tree line. I ignored this for maybe five minutes or so, and to me it sounded like it was at our ten and our two relative to where we were. There was also an occasional wood on wood sound but not like that of branches falling. It was repetitive and slow, and only one hit, unlike a branch that would hit a lot on its way down. After what sounded like a branch snapping to our nine or ten o'clock, my fiancé just said, Did you hear that? I said quietly. Yes, was that the first one you heard? And they responded back, No, we need to leave. We had both been scanning at the tree line, but unable to see any direct movement. It spooked us both so bad we packed up the cameras and walked backwards to the car, never turning our backs to the direction of the sound. We opened the doors, tossed our crap in the back seat, got in, and locked the doors basically as soon as we reached the car. We sat in it for about two, three minutes after cranking it up and turning on the lights, but never saw anything. I am a fairly avid hiker in primitive or semi-primitive camper and run across deer, bear, and even maybe the occasional wild dog or coyote, but nothing has ever just given me the willies before. It was uncanny and unnerving. My fiancé said it was like they just had the primal urge to run, like we were being hunted or stalked. I have the same feeling like something was there, or a small group of somethings, and they were closing in. By the time we got in the car, I felt like we were prey. We never saw anything. No animal, no creature, no glint of eyes in the tree line, and I would like to think we did not get scared of nothing, but who knows late at night, where we can't see or hear well what tricks our mind plays. I chatted with him before posting this to make sure I recalled it the same way. We had not spoken of it since that trip, but we both have the same impression of the encounter. We both feel like there was at least two things starting to flank us, and that we were prey in my words or hunted in theirs. 
I'm not really sure if there are any local lore or creatures of the wood in this area from native tales that would fit this. I am insanely skeptical on all matters of cryptids, but this was just bizarre. Bear don't really do much in groups. Wild canines like wolves and coyotes don't usually flank humans, and I doubt any normal group animal would cross an open field without any cover. I was a park ranger at Yosemite National Park, and it was my night off. I decided to take a walk on one of my favorite paths, hoping to reach the top of a hill and catch a glimpse of the moon. It was a beautiful night, and I felt completely at ease, surrounded by the sounds of nighttime critters going about their business. But suddenly a high-pitched ringing sound cut through the air, causing the animals to scatter and leaving me dizzy. I paused for a moment, trying to regain my focus, but all the bugs and critters had fallen completely silent, and the only sound I could hear was the soft rustling of leaves beneath my feet. And then I realized something was off. There were footsteps following me, but they sounded like they were coming from the left instead of behind me. I tried to brush it off as a trick of my ears, but the footsteps seemed to keep up with me, no matter how much I stopped and started. As I walked, I noticed animal tracks on the ground, resembling a canine but with unnaturally long nails. I stopped to inspect them, feeling unsettled and unsure if I was in any danger. And that's when I saw it. A pale, fleshy creature emerged from behind a bush, hunched over and with no fur whatsoever. It had massive back legs like that of a dog, but its front paws were similar to that of a sloth, covered in old scars and large claws. Its facial features were human-like, but the sight of it left me feeling paralyzed with fear. The creature seemed frightened that I had spotted it, and I knew that it could kill me in an instant if it wanted to. It stood up tall, towering over the nearby plants, and opened its mouth wide, emitting a high-pitched ringing sound that rattled the nearby trees. The sound seemed to break the spell, and all the bugs and critters started making a huge amount of noise. I couldn't stay there anymore, so I booked it back down the path as fast as I could. The encounter had rattled me so much that I had to take a week off work, and I never went on solo night walks again. To this day, I still wonder what that creature was and where it came from. But one thing is for sure, I never want to encounter it again. I want to start out by saying I wasn't there to see it. This event happened three years ago at Yosemite National Park to two new friends of my parents. The couple is from Sweden and only has been living in the United States for two years, but are very active and experienced hikers. Being unfamiliar to Yosemite's geography, they hire a hiking guide. I forget if they were taking a break on the hike or taking a picture when the tour guide fell several hundred feet off the side of the mountain. The wife tries to go down to rescue Parcheck, the tour-slash-hiking guide, but fell roughly 40 feet on loose rock and broke her tibia. The husband has to hike back three hours down the mountain and out of the forest to find help and then bring a rescue team to back to where his wife and the guide had fell at. While being very unfamiliar with the national park, the husband and the rescue team found the women and guide right before night fell. Unfortunately, the guide was found dead. I really can't say if the death was quick or agonizing. 
I am Tennessee, a Native American who has always felt a deep connection to the forest. As a child, I spent many hours exploring the woods, listening to the songs of the birds and feeling the gentle breeze on my face. I knew every inch of the forest, or so I thought, until one night when I had an encounter that changed everything. I was out in the woods hunting for deer when I heard a strange noise. It was a low guttural growl that made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I knew that sound, but it was impossible. It was a growl of a bipedal brown Bigfoot, a creature that I had only heard of in legends. As I stood there frozen with fear, the creature appeared before me. It was massive, towering over me at nearly eight feet tall. Its eyes glowed in the darkness, and I could see its powerful muscles rippling beneath its fur. I felt like I was facing an otherworldly creature. The creature bared its teeth, growling menacingly. I tried to back away slowly, but it took a step forward, blocking my path. I knew that if it wanted to, it could easily overpower me. I was powerless, stuck in place with Nair to go. Suddenly the creature turned and ran off into the forest. I stood there, trembling and trying to catch my breath, wondering what had just happened. I had encountered a bipedal brown Bigfoot and lived to tell the tale. Over the next few days, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. I heard strange noises and saw shadows moving in the trees. I knew that the creature was still out there, somewhere in the forest, and I was never sure when it would make its presence known again. From that day on, I never went into the woods alone and always kept my senses sharp, knowing that I might encounter the creature again. I had experienced something that most people only hear about in legends, and it had changed me forever. While deer hunting in the Jefferson Wilderness area, I took a stand on top of an old big tree stump which stood approximately two feet in height. It gave me a good view of an old-growth forest tree line, approximately 100 yards in front of me facing east. Between the tree line and myself was a clear cut. To my right side was a small hill with a ridge that extended up into the old-growth forest. As I was standing on the stump with the sun setting, I still could make out antlers on a deer. I heard a loud burst of a whistle sound with a swirling pitch to my right side. As I looked to my right, approximately 75 yards away, midway up the hill, stood a figure facing me, attempting to get my attention. I noticed it stood upright with a large upper body and no visible neck. It was dark in color from head to foot. It stood approximately six, seven feet tall. I saw no detail. It was dusk. As I thought about the situation, I thought it must mistake me for something else. I was wearing a black jacket with the hood over my head, dark pants, and being on that stump making me look seven, eight feet tall. Neither it or myself moved for about fifteen, thirty seconds, could have been a little longer. Then fear hit me. I got off the stump with rifle in hand, carefully and slowly, walking out back to my truck with nothing following me. I have hunted this area many times in the past and know it fairly well. Walking on that particular hill or its ridge makes far too much noise for a hunter due to all the small dead timbers, branches, and bushes laying on the ground. Everything was quiet until this thing made that noise. I have been a hunter for over 20 years and know the wilderness and its sounds and its creatures very well. I've never had an experience like this. 
I told no one of what happened when I got back to camp. They would have teased me to no end. On February 6, 2003, myself and two of my friends set out on a three-day hike that would take us from Cascade Locks at the Herman Creek Trailhead up the Pacific Crest Trail and into Wadham Lake. It was a 26.2-mile loop that we knew would take a few days to conquer. It was originally supposed to be a snowshoe trip, but the deepest the snow ever got was about 18 inches. For the month, we could not have asked for better weather. It was very cold, but there was not a cloud in the sky for any of the three days we were out. If anyone has ever been up in the area of Benson Plateau, Ruckle Creek, or Wadham Lake in the wintertime, they would also attest to there being nobody up there. We saw not a soul for three days, and there was nobody within miles. We reached our campsite the first day, just as it got dark on Benson Plateau. The next morning, we headed out for our ultimate destination, Wattam Lake. The night before, we decided to empty out as much weight as we could in our packs and take only what we needed, for the faster we could get to the lake, the better we were assured of getting back to camp before dark. We emptied out some food and other various items, left them in our tent, and got our packs down to 30, 30, 35 pounds. We hiked the five miles to and around Mount Chinadir and into Wattam Lake. The three of us made it back to camp again, just as the sun set. At around dusk, the winds on the plateau got very strong. The weather was already cold, about 25 degrees, and obviously the wind didn't help any. I read on NOA's homepage the next day that there were wind gusts from 40-60 miles per hour around where we were camped that night. I'm going to estimate that with the wind chill, it was about 5-10 degrees that night, we were feeling pretty proud of ourselves for reaching our objective that night. We did what we went there to do. It was no picnic, and we were extremely happy that we did it. We knew that the next morning it was all downhill to the trailhead. So we made a nice fire. The wind helped us make a nice fire, even though it made it hard to start. Made some dinner and sat around laughing and talking around the fire, trying to keep warm. At around 9.30, we went into the tent. It was just too cold to stay outside anymore and started playing cards for about a half an hour. We then shut out the light and laid down. My friend, who was on the far right of the tent, farthest from me, was asleep when his head hit the pillow. But myself and my buddy, who was in the middle, sat it up for a while to shoot the breeze and tell a few jokes. I was right in the middle of a joke when, all of a sudden, there was what appeared to be a flashlight on the side of their tent farthest from me, the right side. This light was about two, three inches in diameter, had about three, four radios in it, and had about a one, four inch diameter black spot in the middle, much like a mag light at close range. It made a few circles around the tent, lasting about two, three seconds, then clicked off. We could not however hear it click off because the wind was blowing both my buddy and i saw the light and it was unquestionably a light emitted from a bulb there is no possible way that the light was created from a rolling log in the fire pit or the moon showing through the trees or anything of that sort this was a round light from a flashlight or something of the sort as if coming from a krypton bulb the two of us went from talking and laughing to completely silent and 100% still. 
We whispered very quietly to each other to make sure that both of us just saw what we think we did. Not three seconds later, we heard crunching on the ground. Within ten seconds of that, our fire went from being a warm orange glow and flickered almost completely out. The previous night, we had snow in the tree above our tent and the fire pit. It had melted off through the day, and where our camp was, you could walk just 100 yards to the south, and you would have been at the snow line. The ground around our camp was very hard, and it was covered in a sheet of ice. So we left the fire going moderately, hoping that the next morning we would still have some warm coals to warm up with. In a matter of two seconds, our fire went from a steady orange glow, flickered a few times, and then went to a very weak reddish or orange glow. Five minutes later, it was out and completely dark. My friend and I were, needless to say, very freaked out by the events that were taking place. We shook the third member of our party awake, and we realized that we had left a camp shovel and a hatchet outside of the tent. We called out to see if anyone was out there, thinking maybe it was a lost hiker or a forest ranger who was out patrolling the area for some odd reason, but nobody called back. We sat there and listened, and again heard pacing and footsteps outside of our tent. This was not a pitter-patter of a four-legged animal or the pacing of a cougar or a bear. There was no sniffing, no sound other than pacing, and what's more, it was definitely a two-legged something that was doing this pacing. The sound it made was a continuous crunch, crunch, like a two-legged being walking on an icy ground. We decided that we should go outside without flashlights and see what was going on, and what was more, to get our hatchet and camp shovel back. My friend on the far right grabbed his flare gun, the only weapon we had inside the tent, and we all threw on our thermal boots and pants and went outside in a hurry. We looked all around the tent, shining lights everywhere, but saw nothing. No tracks, no nothing. The ground was very hard, densely packed dirt and ice atop of it. With our packs on, each of us weighed over 220 pounds, and we did not make a single track up there. We were jumping up and down the next morning to see if we could make tracks or imprints, but we could not. Also, we were on a plateau that was dense with trees. There were trees everywhere, plenty of places for something to hide. At this time, I was thinking that some psychopath was on the loose or somebody was fooling with us. But then I started to put two and two together. There we were, literally in the middle of nowhere. 5,200 feet up, nine miles away from any sort of civilization. May as well have been 100, and the only two ways up to where we were was a steep seven-hour hike up Eagle Creek Trail, or a steeper eight-eight-half-hour hike up. We were in our thermal underwear, wool socks, thermal snow boots, waterproof insulated snow pants, undershirts, long-sleeve overshirts, and insulated North Face ski jackets, and we were freezing cold. There was no way it was impossible for any human being to survive up there that night without fire and or shelter. It just was not possible. If it just would have been a case of footsteps for a few seconds, a flashlight and a fire that was put out, I might agree that there were some other hikers up there who just wanted to have a good time and mess with us. But after we went back into the tent, we heard the footsteps again. This time, they went from near the fire pit and walked over to the tent, 
past where our feet were pointed and went over to my side of the tent. There, whatever it was, paced and paced for about an hour and a half. This threw out any notion in my head that it was a human being. It just was not physically possible for a person to be up there and live without shelter for this period of time. I myself am a cold weather fanatic. I love cold weather. But I was never so cold as I was on that trip on that night. It was extremely cold and windy out. There was never any sniffing or any other clanging around of objects you would hear from any animal. Plus, whatever it was, we scared it off twice, and it came back. What kind of animal gets scared off or runs off and continuously comes back, only to get closer? What is also more, obviously, is what kind of animal has a flashlight. I have had to tell myself, yeah, Bigfoot doesn't have a flashlight. But then I think, well, we really don't know how intelligent they are if a monkey can fly into space. When we got back into our sleeping bags, my friend who was sleeping, the one that did not see the light, tried to convince himself it was just some animal for the sake of being able to sleep. The next day he admitted that he knew that whatever it was had two legs. My other friend and I agreed to try and stay awake for as long as we could, maybe take turns on a watch. It had been such a long trip and such a physically demanding one. This was hard to do no matter how scared we were. After my one buddy dozed off, my other friend that had agreed to stay awake with me dozed off and both started to snore. The pacing continued for nearly 45 minutes, not more than seven feet from the tent, and there was nothing else. No sounds, no calls, no grunts, nothing. It was very strange feeling but I almost felt like whatever it was was waiting for me to sleep. Even though I made no sound at all, it felt like something knew I was awake and was waiting for me to sleep. I decided to rip off a few fake snores to see what would happen, just out of curiosity. After my third snore, the flashlight appeared again on the right side of the tent. Again, it made three or four circles. I woke up my friend who was next to me hastily. As soon as I did so, the light went off and the walking outside of the tent stopped. This time I got a really good look at the light, as there was no orange glow from the fire outside the tent. It was completely pitch black dark outside, and this light came from literally nowhere. We awoke my other friend, and we all talked and agreed that it had not yet messed with the tent. It hadn't moved it or anything, and was not threatening us yet. Plus, none of us knew if we really wanted to rush outside this time. We all knew that somehow this time, whatever it was would not run away, and we may then be in a world of hurt. So we laid there in our tent for a while, trying to stay awake, but unable to. After about 10, 15 more minutes, the pacing ceased, and all there was was the wind. I tried to stay awake to see if whatever it was would come back, but I could not. When we awoke the next morning, the only thing that was disturbed was the fire. It was slightly wet, like someone had thrown snow on it. And it also had a mixture of ash and dirt on top of it. Again, all the snow in the tree had melted and fallen off by the second day. So there is no way the snow came from the tree. Otherwise, no tracks, nothing molested or disturbed, no nothing. There was no smell or odor at any time during our occurrence or anything else. We quickly picked up camp that cold morning and headed back down quickly and safely. I have no idea if what this was was Bigfoot.
I really do not know for sure if this was Sasquatch or some other phenomena. I do know this. It definitely had two legs, and it was not a human. I guess I am just looking for some insight, some sort of feedback on what this may have been. So far, Bigfoot has been my best guess, something else unusual that I did not even think of until about three weeks after the trip. On our way back to camp from Wadham Lake, about two miles past Mount Chinadere, we all three heard a strange call that sounded like a cross between a moose and an elk. I thought it was just me, but then not two seconds later, my friend, who is from Colorado, said they don't have moose in Oregon, do they? I asked him if he heard it too, and they both said they thought they heard what sounded like a moose, or a cross between a moose and an elk. It was a low-pitched but very powerful cooing noise, probably coming from a ways off. We were pretty high up, and it was really cold out there. We were when we heard it. Maybe it was just an elk. I'm not sure, but it just seemed strange for an elk to be out and about at that time and place. Any insight on this from anyone would be appreciated. I do also know that there have been a few sightings around this area from Herman Creek to Ruckle Creek, and any info would be useful. It is difficult to talk about sometimes, and I try not to think about what it was or may have been when I am alone. I would like to come to some sort of conclusion on this, so I can put it to rest. I was walking up a trail about six miles in, and I see through the trees ahead of me a light-colored object in a clearing by a dead tree. As I get closer, the object starts to take shape, and I realize it's a person. As I get really close, I realize the person is not wearing a stitch of clothes. He does, however, have a backpack on. I stop and say, hey, how's it going? He proceeds to tell me about how the deer stole all his clothes during the night, leaving him with only his backpack and a hat. I've known deer to eat holes in people's stuff, even chew on saddle leather to get to the salt, but this seemed excessive. I offered the guy assistance, but he declined. All I could think about was this guy's got six more miles to go to the trailhead, and he's gonna do it stark-ass naked with a backpack and a hat, and that's it. Hi, hi. I wanted to explain an encounter with something. I'm not quite sure what it was. I'd gotten into an argument with my mom about the hat man that was leaning over me while I slept on the couch, something my sister informed me of the following day. A lot of weird stuff happened at that house, but that wasn't the encounter. No, it was after the argument. I was walking out of the house down the road, which we were surrounded by woods, and a small swamp was behind our place. I was walking down the road, which was side to side, a wooded area. Not many people came down where we were. So I was listening to music while on my walk, and I felt like something was watching me. I lived in Alabama, so it was weird. Nobody came in our woods. Not ever. I looked over, and there I saw it. It was hunched over and huge. It had pale features and was so skinny I could see its rib cage. The thing that took me off was its mask-like face. It didn't wear a mask, but its face had mask-like features. The only reason why I say its face wasn't wearing a mask was because I could see its mouth perfectly. It had dark eyes. 
I thought it had eye bags, but maybe because I was trying to reassure myself. I heard a branch crunch under its hands. I like to assure myself they were at least. It reminded me of a human butt, all wrong. Please, someone tell me they've got some explanation because I can't. During high school, I spent a year in southern Japan as a foreign exchange student. My host family lived in a pretty rural area. I liked to go for walks in the woods, but most of the time my family wouldn't come with. Everybody is really scared of ghosts, and apparently the mountains are all haunted. Once, when I was walking with another exchange student, we saw an old man in the middle of a grove heading down the hill towards me. He was dressed like a farmer, but in old traditional style clothes, which was not terribly unusual in that area, and had a sickle over one shoulder. The weird thing was, when we greeted him, he didn't seem to notice. He didn't loom up at all and just kept going. We joked about him being a ghost, but he probably was just an ancient farmer who didn't give two shits. <laughs> 